Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Lost Broadcasts, a podcast about TV shows that tried and failed to be the next Lost. You know which one I am. It's Hannah. And I'm Esther. That must mean, by process of elimination, that that's who I am. Yeah. Um, what we have for you today is another entry into the canon of site-specific Lost. Oh, you didn't want to. You don't want to tell the listeners what site-specific <laughs> Lost is. Uh, <laughs> Esther, I'm, look. Uh, Are we gonna have to restart the episode? No, I don't think so. Okay. So what we when we mean by site-specific Lost, if you listen to our last episode on the river, I you kind you of did. know what we're talking about. Basically, it's this idea of like you know a, a Lost like that is um, much in the same way that the original Lost was focused on the island, you know, mm-hmm. very, where, where the location was almost a character in and of itself. Yeah. Um, that this sort of does that uh, uh, for different locations and in different premises. So obviously the river was about the river. It was about the river. It was about the river. Um, this month's show is Persons Unknown. And boy, we really thought that the location would be a character. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's it's interesting, right? Because this is like a slightly different take on the site specific loss like um i mean if you talk about the river they knew where they were going it's just where they were going turned out to be like more than they bargained for yeah if you talk about flight 29 down or like actual lost they were trying to go to a specific place and they just like crash landed and went to a different place yeah here this is a situation where they didn't even want to go to a place <laughs> at all. They wanted to stay They wanted put. to be where they were at the time. <laughs> the entire first episode is just like every character like doing little flashbacks to what they were before they got Persons Unknown. And it's all about just being like, I love staying put. My whole life has been about being right here. <laughs> uh, but no, something happens to them, right? Yeah. They wake up. They're in a place without any foreknowledge or action on their part. And this scary place came to them. So it's like Cube. It's like Cube. It's a cube lake. Yeah. In addition to being a lost lake. Um, so yeah, let's talk about sort of basic outline stuff. Persons Unknown was yeah. a one-hour psychological thriller mystery series that aired on NBC. Did I write ABC in the You notes? wrote ABC in the notes, but don't worry. I am on it. I didn't notice when I looked at these earlier. Yeah. So it's okay? We've looked at these notes multiple times. <laughs> Just here. And it type really loudly so they know. Thank you. NBC it aired on it now. aired on the Peacock. Um, it aired during that time when it was like all the shows would be like you know more X, uh, and it was like more colorful was on the, all the ads for this. And we will talk about the ads for this later. That's just getting my blankest stare right now. <laughs> this is really important information to know. Um, anyway, it aired on yeah. NBC for thirteen episodes. No, no, asterisk. Stop the cap. Stop the cap. <laughs> no, of course. Um, it aired for um, between I think. <laughs> Between nine and 12 episodes, depending on where you lived. Yeah. We'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, but it did happen in the summer of 2010. That is not under dispute. That's acknowledged. Yeah. No. So, yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, I guess, let's talk about, I guess, a little bit about how this aired. We'll get into yeah. more of the research I'm, section I'm, later. I'm issuing my coach's challenge for this last <laughs> broadcast episode. But we, we really should sort of, I think, uh, talk about this because it's key to the nature of this program. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have had shows before that had to skip weeks, you know, we have had shows, uh, that, uh, had the back part of their season dumped onto a website or was yeah. only aired in another country. We've had that before. Yeah. We've had like the longer case of skipping weeks where it's like, okay, uh, we aired four episodes and then you're going to come back three months later <laughs> and everyone's still going to love you, right? Yes. 
Um, we've never had a situation like this before. Episode of per- for Persons Unknown, episodes 10, 12, and 13 didn't air on some NBC affiliates. Uh, New York, Detroit, and Seattle were, were the big ones. Uh, they were preempted by NFL preseason games. <laughs> Not NFL games. And my understanding is that the NFL is like, it's a fall sport. Yeah, no, it's, it's not the summer. Not the summer. NFL preseason games. Now, yeah. of course, we're not we're not football girlies. We love the basketball. Well, preseason basketball yeah. is not, you know, you don't generally bump stuff off the air for that sort of thing. Because <laughs> it's not real. It doesn't count. The players aren't even really there. Have you ever been to an NFL preseason game? I have not. So what's crazy is that I have. <laughs> so I'm actually the authority on this. Yeah. And I am going to attack you for taking this part of our like outline away from me. It should have been me talking. <laughs> Here's my NFL preseason game story. This was in 2013 when I was like in the absolute throes of the transition. And my friend Andrew, shout out Andrew, um, told me that he had two tickets to an NFL preseason game with some jagoffs from his work. He was like a paralegal at the time. And when he told me basically, I was like, yeah, if you can really, if you come, it would really help me out. These guys are assholes. I would love to have an actual friend there. And uh, just wear a collared shirt. Me, being really stupid about men's fashion, to this day, did not know what that meant. So I showed up wearing, like, a button-down and slacks at his door. And Andrew takes one look at me and he's like, that's the complete wrong fucking outfit. I don't know what I said that made you think you were supposed to wear that. But I was, I was like, thinking, okay. I was told that we are going to like some special, like, pre-game skybox things. So maybe that's why I'm supposed to dress up. But he looked at my outfit and it was like, I'm in the trenches with you. And he changes into like pretty much the same outfit himself to show solidarity. So we'll both get yelled at, right? So sweet. It's very sweet of him. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. And he uh, takes me to the the place. Uh, We're at the tailgate and it's all just like a bunch of really awful old lawyers who just look me up and down in between like, brutally attacking the one dentist that hangs out with them. And they're like, so what are you studying? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to be in advertising. They like nod warily, and they're like, okay, they pay you to talk. You're on our team. <laughs> and as I'm going to the, uh, like the seats, like one of his coworkers just sort of pulls me aside and is like trying to put me at ease and just like puts his shoulder at me. And so I was like, Hey man, don't worry. I'm a little faggy too. <laughs> <laughs> it's the platonic ideal of like a, a well-meaning Patriots fan. <laughs> so that's my experience with NFL preseason games. Right. And trans girls were having stories like that for every one of them that preempted this show. Yeah, so. exactly. It had happened at all of the specific games yeah. that prevented episodes 10, uh, 12, and 13. So 11 aired, right? So that's the thing. No, it didn't. Um, no? So no, uh, that one just got preempted by the NFL nationwide. <laughs> this, it, it never aired this, on television anywhere. This is the like TV airing equivalent of when you're showing a movie to your friend and he just gets up and says, oh, you don't need to pause it. <laughs> Welcome to You Don't Need to Pause It Television. <laughs> no, yeah, that one just dropped on, on NBC.com. And we'll get a little more into the weeds of this when we yeah. get to my section later, but... Um, uh, no, it is like, they didn't even, it wasn't even like a skipped week with episode 11 where it's like, all right, this week's blanked out. You have to go to NBC.com. It was episode 10 and then episode 12 the week after. And if you didn't know that episode 11 was online, 
<laughs> he would have no idea what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it's insane. You you can tell from what we're describing here how much respect NBC had yeah. in the show, how much faith they had in it. This was already a summer replacement series. Yeah. So already, like, bottom of the barrel. No, this is like going to your G League coach and begging for playing time. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, son, I don't think you have what it takes to be a Fort Wayne madhead. <laughs> no, the NBC absolutely told this show, get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the entire the way back storyline from 2K. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So this is like the, the frame here, right? Yeah. The lens with which we're going to look at the show is the terminal Lost Alike. Yeah, because like go back to 2005. Remember what Lost Alikes were back then? They were like Invasion mm-hmm. and Surface and Threshold, where it was like those shows kind of sucked, but at the very least, they were big bets, right? They were. Yeah. The the biggest marketing budgets. And they were the like biggest, the centerpiece like, new, se- new series. Yeah. And the biggest like production budgets, you yep. know, of those seasons. And it was like, oh, if we play our cards right, like Invasion could be like a 20 million a week show. <laughs> um, I don't think that anyone at NBC was convincing nope. themselves that that was going to happen to and, a person's unknown. In, in fact, there's a twi- There's going to be a twist at the end of this episode, which I will not reveal yet, okay. relating to that. Um, that, that will, I think like the best twists, reshape your understanding yeah. of everything that came before. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, after years of all these failed lost likes, and it's just like one or two that have actually spawned into something more sustainable, you kind of understand where executives were at 2010, right? Like if this show had made it for prime time in 2005 and had beaten out Surface in the NBC sweepstakes, then, like, they would have given this so much money in comparison. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but here is just, like, uh, here, take some summer weeks, but not yeah. that one, not that one. I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> no, by 2010, the Lost like experiments on network television is, like, it, it seems to have failed, basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously there will be shows after this that we talk about, like, you We know, already talked about The River. In fact, we all, in fact, yes, The River came after, but, mm-hmm. like... You can sort of see, and even in The River, too, which only got eight episodes. Yeah. Like, you can see how, like, the faith in this formula is just, has has almost completely dwindled, basically. Yeah. It's, it's gone from, like, this is our new flagship to just, like, Hail Marys of, like, I don't know, like, are, are people going to get insane about this one? Yeah. <laughs> are people going to send us death threats if we don't reveal the mystery of this one? Yeah, no? Exactly. Okay, fine. <laughs> Um, just imagining, like, the poor NBC producer who's just, like, refreshing his email. Just be like, no death threats? Really? Oh, no. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, like, what what is the show actually about, right? Yeah. So the high-level premise is that we've got seven people who wake up in a hotel in an almost completely deserted mid-century American town. They've got no memory of how they got there. No way of escaping, apparently. And no uh, immediately apparent purpose to them being there, right? They're not, like, told, like, you have been brought here because I, Jigsaw, would like to play a game. Those seven are our persons unknown. They are the persons unknown. And doing a bit of, like, kind of a... A little bit of jazz hands. Yeah, Yeah, jazz hands right there. So what's their lost style mystery, or at least the intended scope of it? So the idea is, you know, it's uh, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. How did they escape? How can they escape? Why are they here? Yeah. What is this location? Who put Who them, here? them here? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> is it a good mystery? Uh, I mean, theoretically, it could be. It could be Cube. It could be Cube. But here's the thing, really. Like, 
Have you seen Cube? I have not seen Cube. You know what? There's so many cubes in that movie. <laughs> okay, wait, no. Okay, you're laughing, but it's like, how many cubes do you think are in the cube? Oh, sorry, there's cubes within the cube? Well, okay. Esther, I don't mean to be, like, condescending here, but, like, is a building kind of not a cube that contains other cubes? Holy shit. Yeah. So we are we're in a cube right fucking now. So so, so guess how many cubes are in the cube? Oh God, I, I'm gonna say upwards of uh, six. It's seventeen thousand five hundred seventy-seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was a little off. Yeah, I was a little off. But if you had guessed so lower, that's a mystery, I, right? Yeah. Like, first off, the intended scope of the lost style mystery is how many cubes are in this cube? How many cubes are in this cube? But no, I don't think persons unknown even delves like that deeply. Because the thing is, like. You know, everything we just said, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, how did they get here? How can they escape? Why are they here? That is also the setup of Lost, right? Basically. Yeah. Um, but Lost, by, like, episode two, is introducing, like, new variations on that idea. And, like, digging deep. Not answering the questions immediately. But, mm-hmm. like, revealing how, like, those questions unlock new, more specific questions under that yeah. umbrella. Like, it's immediately telling you, like, oh, fuck, this isn't just, like, a Robinson Crusoe type story. Where it's like, okay, well, they've been stranded there and they're gonna have to build a raft to escape it's like that is gonna be a tiny part of what's going on here immediately we're giving you more shit to react to yeah exactly like it is it's almost as though it's a story that develops as it goes on 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 lost uh prisons unknown is literally just like there's just nothing there like there are no clues to unravel really there's no like games that there are challenges that they have to do that's what fucking killed me let me just say by the way i was excited about this show like i was like this show seems cool it's like you know the prisoner it's like you know it's just gesticulating wildly uh, let me uh, see if you can hear that wait is this plotting is this plotting yeah no plotting would be like if i sort of like plopped down because i was so overcome okay i'm I'm learning more about her culture (laughs) (laughs) um God, what was I saying? No, like, there's there's no, like... It, it killed me that there were... I, I thought when we started this show, it would be a lot of, like, every week there's a new, like, twisted game they have to play, mm-hmm. you know, to th- that's being uh, imposed on them by whoever put them there because the, yeah. you know, they've been put here for a reason to do something. Surely they're here to do something. You can make this shit so video gamey, where it's, like, the first yes. episode, it's, like, you're all stuck in your rooms and, like, those rooms are being filled with acid. And the next one, it's like, okay, now you're in the hallway. Yeah. How do you get out of the hallway? And then how do you get out of the hotel? How do you get out of, like, this one little street of yeah. the town? What are the bizarre rules of this location? Like, do they, exactly. that they have to follow? Like, the prisoner gets into this office, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a fundamental to, like, this that show, and it gets into these surreal, wacky places. Or like, Cube. Or Cube. <laughs> or Saw. Or Escape Room. Or Escape Room. God, Escape Room's so good. Um, yeah. But no, it's like, what you have to understand about the show, and we will dive into it, is that fundamentally, they're not there for any reason. <laughs> and yeah. all that the show is about is them trying to escape. That's it. That's the only thing. And, like, it does not present them with nearly enough challenges to that. Like, if you want to make it, like, it's it's prison break style situation. Right? Yeah. It's about how do they get out, that's fine. But you have to present them with, like, obstacles. Yeah, it's also, like, I mean, technically there is a reason that they're all there. It's because, like, yeah. you know, the mysterious people that have put them there say that, like, oh, they all have potential. Yeah, but, but that doesn't count. <laughs> no, that doesn't fucking mean anything, right? It's like, you watch Lost and you're like, okay, I get why these are characters that have had, like, these, you know, really melodramatic life stories and whatnot, you know? And there's, like, 
a sense that all of them could be the new guardian of this island because they're all, like, you know, people who have had 50 seasons of TV happen to them in their backstories. Yeah. Um, here is just, like, these characters, there's nothing to them. You know, yeah. there's no sense of, like, even attempts to be, like, oh, well, you have potential because... XYZ happened in your life, or like yeah. you had one moment where you reacted to an extraordinary circumstance by doing this. There's just nothing. No, that's the thing. And like, there's no like, I mean, fundamental, not just to Lost, but to, to you know, Escape yeah. Room. In the Escape Room movies, both of them, like, uh-huh. it's fundamental uh, to sort of like the, the twist, the twisty yeah. nature of them is like, how are these people connected? What connects them? They seem like a random, disparate assortment of people. But you know, in the watch the first Escape Room movie. Otherwise, skip ahead 30 seconds. The first Escape Room movie, the idea is like, you know, all of these people are sole survivors of some sort of horrible disaster. And so they're being pitted against each other because the, the the gag is like, whoever's running this Escape Room game wants to see who is the ultimate sole survivor, right? Yeah. Um, like, there is a there is a theme that connects these people. Obviously, yeah. on Lost, all the people are connected. None of these motherfuckers in Persons <laughs> Unknown have nothing. been touched by Jacob. <laughs> Jacob didn't appear to any of them. They can't. They will not be his replacement. Um, Jacob cut all of them off in traffic. <laughs> but no, it's like again, it's like I am hungering for that. Watching this show, being like, all right, clearly there has to be some sort of thing where it's like all of these people, all of these people are here for a reason, right? But like these people specifically are here together for a reason, and the answer is just no. They're not. It's just like. They're, it's just completely random. Hannah, you are laughing so hard. I've been stifling laughter because when I said that Jacob cut them off in traffic, I just started imagining uh, Jacob from Lost. Uh, look him up if you haven't seen him. Mark Pellegrino. Yeah, just uh, driving a car shaped like his own head like, with the <laughs> sleepy eyes and everything. <laughs> like me, Dave? Yeah, like me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and the car also has a really happy little eye. <laughs> And those are the headlights. Imagine getting run over by that. <laughs> It'd be very scary. Yeah. Because you probably wouldn't have enough time to know that it wasn't just a giant head before you died. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be a lot of, like, pieces of information that if you survived, <laughs> you would be forced to reckon with. <laughs> Which is more than we can say for the show, am I right? Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. Like, as much as you've been saying, there is nothing that connects these characters together. Let's let's dive into the characters, right? Because I do want to make a spirited defense here. Because even though, like, narratively, they're very disparate and disentangled and you can't, like, draw a, a satisfying thread through them, there are some, like, knockout characters here. That's the one thing I say at this show, right? There is, uh, you want me to just start? Yeah, start, start Okay, with so we have John Reese played by the talented but complicated uh, Jim Caviezel <laughs> wait, wait, wait. from Passion of the Christ. He's sort of like an ex-CIA, like, hitman. <laughs> Esther, okay, Hannah. I'm going to need you to take this more seriously. Do you want to talk about Harold Finch? <laughs> is that why you're laughing at me? Because I'm not doing a good job describing the characters. All right, I know I love you and I hate me to, you know, break your heart here. Yeah. Because you're thinking of something happy, and I don't want you to be unhappy. But you are not, unfortunately. I'm person of interest. You're describing the characters from the show Person of Interest, which is very good, but it's not this show. Do we want to watch Person of Interest for our next bonus episode? Oh, God, I would love to watch Person of Interest for the next bonus episode. Yeah. So bad, actually. We'll, we'll go into more detail about this later, but we do bonus episodes about shows that would have been lost to likes if they had crashed and burned, but that somehow managed to get like five seasons, so. 
We'll talk a bit more about that at the end of our episode yeah. and uh, person of interest. That'll Locking be great. That'll be great to talk about person yeah. of interest, won't it? We're going to beast that one. All right, back to the fucking coal Who mines. Is Joe Tucker, are you serious? <laughs> I guess we do. Yeah, okay. So, Joe Tucker. So, yeah. We're going to, I think, run into an issue of um, describing. Describing Joe Tucker is balding. Joe Tucker is he's a bald man. Um, he gets balder actually about halfway through the season. Yeah, that's, um, that's development. That is character development. Um, he that's the second show <laughs> in a row that we've done where they mistake a character getting shaved midway through for <gasps> character development. That's like the main true. character. That's true. Yeah. Wow, we're finding common themes across our episodes. I wish this show could have found common themes among anything. Okay, Joe Tucker, he's bald. He is the main guy. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it, I will say it is a little more of an ensemble show. Yeah, he wears, like, short sleeve t-shirts over long sleeve t-shirts. Yeah. And it's 2010, so he's embarrassing himself. Yeah, he's he's reclaiming the glory days. That's way more of a, a, a 2006 yeah. type of thing. He's a cipher when we first meet him. Yeah. His whole thing is that he's, like, the mysterious one. But he's also just, like, very generic leading man, and that he's, like, kind of straightforwardly competent, and the hair that we do see of him is brown, and he's, like, in his 30s. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's like, you're... You're like PS3 era AAA video game protagonist. He is, guy, yeah. You know? He would be hanging out with like Marcus Phoenix. He's got a karma meter. Or the heavy rain, the heavy rain guy. He does have a yeah. karma meter. He has on disc DLC. He... <laughs> wait, wait, kind of does, doesn't he? He kind of does have on disc DLC. All right, yeah. Um, so he's he's Mr. PS, he's Mr. Two Damn PS3. <laughs> <laughs> um. The thing that we, like, noticed about him immediately is that, like, out of all these characters, it's like, okay, one of them is clearly, like, a mole for the guys who have kidnapped him. And what we figured out, like, right away is that, oh, it's got to be Joe because, like, they're being way too cagey on him having a character, right? Like, well, well, the way we figured it out is in one of the first scenes, he is the first one to say, like, and actually, one of us could be in on it. And yeah, we both okay, looked at each yeah. other and were like, oh, well, it's him. Obviously, it's him. Yeah, and it is. Right. <laughs> we, did it. we beat the show. You can't, we watch too many of these. You can't get one past us yeah. that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Janet Cooper. Tell me about her. She is, um, she is kind she's of... She's also bald, which is weird. Oh. <laughs> no, she's not. Not that we know of. Maybe season two would have revealed, <laughs> revealed that. Um, no, Janet Cooper, we start with her. The first scene of the show is her, like, arguing with, like, a private eye she's hired to find find her husband. Did they ever resolve that? Yeah, I don't remember who her husband is. No, I do. But aren't, wasn't that her ex-husband? Was that the, supposed to be the same character? Same character, I think. Okay. That's weird. They lived in the same city. She couldn't find him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to him later. She was really afraid of cars. <laughs> um, no, she is a mom. She has a she has a, a little daughter. Yeah, this, uh, like, first pre- uh, kidnapping scene with her is like very without a trace core it is extremely i think it's it's like if this was the beginning of an svu episode the twist would be that you expect the little daughter of the playground to get kidnapped but actually it's the mom and she does and she does yeah um yeah what are her traits she wants to see her daughter (laughs) so bad yeah just very generic leading lady where it's like oh she's tough she's sensitive yeah, there's really nothing to her. Frankly, like, the primary trait of pretty much everyone is just that they want to leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, 
which I think speaks to the problem uh, of plotting of the show. Yeah. I mean, okay, the next guy has, like, a little more going on than that. He's Sergeant Graham McNair. He has one very important thing going on, which is that he is Chadwick Boseman. He is played by Chadwick Boseman. Which, when we saw him on the cast list, when we started, we were like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Do you remember Chadwick Boseman's role on Justified? He was on Justified? Yeah, Chadwick Boseman was on one episode of Justified. Um, I don't remember this at all. He played an evil magician named Flex. <laughs> oh, I do remember! <laughs> yeah, so he was, he was like, toiling in the, like, episodic yeah. uh, uh, character actor minds before making it big. Uh, he did a great job as Flex, I want to say. He was, I have no complaints about the Flex character. Uh, Sergeant Graham McNair is not given that much to do. No, he's nothing. He is, um... <laughs> he's he's tough, but he's sensitive. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, he... I mean, honestly, you know, for, like, one of your... For who is, at first, your one black character. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the second black character, whose characterization is also a little dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, like, he is just, like, of the main seven, the least anything. Yeah, you know? he's, like... The one interesting thing that they drop about, like, his backstory, not even his, like, um, character in any real sense, is uh, that he was, he was a Muslim guy, and he was stationed at Abu Ghraib, and he has a monologue where he says that working there only made him more Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> he was in there with the card counter. Yeah. Um, you know, being just horrified at what was going on. Very 2010 development. I mean, speaking of being very 2010, like, there's a scene where, like, you know, another character's being like, oh, we gotta torture this person who works for the program to get, like, information out of him. And he, like, looks directly into the camera and is like, actually, it doesn't produce actual (laughs) blame And that's your clue that Obama's president now. It's 2010, we're gonna light it up like it's dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, this is this is Tayo Cruz type television. <laughs> uh, why don't we talk about Moira Doherty? Mo- you take it. <laughs> Moira Doherty. Is it, uh, that's right. Well, sometimes they say Moira, but some of them say Mora. I think they had a lot of budget to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Mo- it co- fairly, it costs five hundred thousand dollars to figure out how you're pronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Moira Doherty. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make you say that name so many times. <laughs> it's hard. So um, what's her deal? Her deal is that you think initially that she's like, you know, she's a nurse. Or maybe she's also supposed to be like a psychiatrist because she has like, she's definitely she like a doctor. She's a doctor. Yeah. She's, a medi- she's in medicine because she knows medical stuff. Yeah. She knows how to patch people up. Mm-hmm. She knows what diseases are. Yeah. Um, the twist. And she's tough, but she's calm. <laughs> the twist with her is that actually... Uh, she was taken from a mental institution. What? And actually, you think she's a doctor, but she's crazy. Yeah, but she's also, like, a doctor, isn't she? But she is a doctor. Yeah. And, like, they don't really do anything with the mental institution part. No, right? it's just, like, a one-episode twist. Yeah, it's, like, she she's wearing, like, you know, um, you know, the type of, like, clothes that they would give you an inpatient. Uh, but then just, like, in episode two, she just finds a store. <laughs> And just puts on new clothes, and then, like, it's never really mentioned again, anything about her. Um, no, I mean, she's she's tough, but she's kind. Yeah, again, I mean, she is, like, she is the kindest character of the tough but kinds, which is all of them. Yeah. Um, so I will give her that, mm-hmm. you know, as a distinguishing factor, but really not much else. Tell me about her next character. Tori Fairchild. Yeah. She is the one, she is, um, 
if you remember our Flight 29 Down episode, mm-hmm. I think she resembles one of our favorite characters from that program. Um, what, Taylor? Taylor, yeah. She's yeah. sort of the Taylor of persons of interest. Well, how? She is like the spoiled rich girl. No. What? No, she's not spoiled. She has a great personality. <laughs> she first has a good all, heart. I don't... No, Okay, no, first of okay, all, wait, okay, wait, wait, What's wait, wait. the relationship with Mora? What's her relationship with Mora? What's her dynamic with Mora? They're friends. I what? I, what? <laughs> a spoiled rich girl dating to be friends with all. a mental psychiatric girl? I don't think that spoiled is a comment on her personality necessarily. It's just a fact okay, of life. Okay, then describe her personality. Uh, she's, you know, she's uh, tough but kind. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, it, her whole deal is that, like, she is this, like, rich party girl and... When she wakes up here, she's, like, 100% sure that her dad put her here and that everyone else here is, like, also enemies of her dad in some way. Or that, like, you know, they've also been put here by enemies like her dad, right? Yeah. Um, So she has, like, an idea of what this place is, which could, I think, have led to interesting characterization and potentially, like, interesting plotting. But she doesn't do anything with it except for just assert it, like, 500 times that's something this show does a lot is yeah. just like it hits the same beats of like this this is what my character believes yeah <laughs> over and over and over again and for her it's just like my dad put me here because i was bad and i was bad at parties and that's it like she just says that over and over and then she dies <laughs> through. well okay no no you keep spelling spitting slander about her the reason that I'm defending her so much is because she's beautiful. Because <laughs> she's yeah. a tall, beautiful blonde. Remind you of anyone else? <laughs> Are you also this mean to me when I'm not around? No, listen. I I know that Hannah, for as long as I've known you, has a long-standing and deeply committed belief mm-hmm. that being beautiful is the same thing as being kind. Yeah, inner beauty and outer beauty. <laughs> same. And that's, okay, okay. It's bad when you just say it like that. <laughs> But I believe that many different kinds of people have outer beauty. <laughs> For example, all the ones with inner beauty. Okay, can we talk about Charlie? Is Charlie Morse Alan Ruck? Yeah. Okay, I, I'm, I'm looking at him and Bill Blackham, but I've got those two confused. They spend every scene, they are paired off so much. But let's talk about yeah. Charlie Morse. He is Alan Ruck. He is he is Connor. They're, um, this is going to be a couple weeks ago at this point, by the time this episode comes out. But if you've seen... A video of two raccoons trying to uh, reach a door handle, <laughs> just jumping up and down like fucking idiots. He's uh, the larger and more powerful raccoon. <laughs> he's that like, really does sum him up. Yeah, he's like a crooked businessman. He's a crooked businessman who is also James from Silent Hill 2. Yeah. Because his whole thing is like... I need to get back to my wife who's very sick and yeah. he needs me as a full-time caretaker. But actually, he killed her. He smothered her in her hospital bed to yeah. relieve her of of her illness. Yeah, we'll we'll put a pin in that. Really yeah, quick. put a, put a pin in that. Um, there is nothing else to this guy. Would you say that he's tough but kind? I would say higher on the tough than the kind, but sure. Yeah, he's also I, a little kind. He's a little kind. No one here is not a little kind. Yeah. Except maybe our next character. Yeah, this guy's Bill Blackham. Bill Blackham. Fuck! The nasty evil, the nasty one. Okay, what do shows get out of having characters like this? Like Simon Campos in Flash Forward or Eric in Flight 29 Down? Yeah, Eric, yeah. Or this guy. Where like the entire thing is that they're like self-consciously annoying and like every character who's just like, do you ever shut up? 
do you ever stop thinking about yourself? And they just repeat that to him like 12 times an episode. And he just sort of like smirks and is like, these people don't know. I am the smart one. (laughs) No, I would love to hear from like a TV writer about this. But this to me reeks of like an executive situation where they're like, we need someone who can introduce tension and conflict into the group because yeah. everyone well, can't be getting along all the time. And it's like, well, here's not a thi- problem that this show is going to have. <laughs> First of all. Yeah. Second of all, like if you can't introduce tension and conflict between a wide cast of characters without just having one guy who's a dick to everyone, yeah. then you're just not a good writer. Yeah. He's sleazy as his thing, right? He's like, yeah. I don't think they ever explicitly say that he's a con artist, but it's like, he has the vibes of one. Yeah. I think, I think there's a slight implication he introduces himself as like a car salesman, but I think he at one point says, you know, I'm not a car salesman or something like that. Like there's an implication that he is lying about his background that never really gets followed up on. I think probably he, we're supposed to believe he's a con artist. Yeah. It's, um, it's strange that they just never, they just don't. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, he'll spend like half the show just being in rooms with Charlie, the Alan Rock character and just being like, Hey buddy, I found out with some program knowledge that you uh, killed your wife. And I'm going to blackmail you off of that. And Alan just being like, fuck you, die. <laughs> and just like smothering him with a pillow. That dynamic goes on for like half of the season. Yeah. Every episode will have a C plot of those two being together. And Bill Blackham will be you like. Trying to reach the door. <laughs> Bill Blackham will be like, hey, you killed your wife. And I know that. And I'm going to keep saying it. And Charlie keeps being like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm so sick of you. And then like the dynamic reverses at one point when Charlie like tries to smother Bill. And he's like, hey, I remember I killed my wife. So maybe I'll kill you. And this immediately makes Bill very scared. It's like for the first time he's ever considered the idea. Yeah. (laughs) That that might make him a dangerous person. No, he he sucks. He's awful. Um, Uh, He's constantly getting yelled at by all the other characters. And he doesn't ever like add anything, right? Like, no, at least with Eric from flight 29 down or like Simon from flash forward, there are scenes where it's like, oh, you underestimated him a little bit. Yep. The one thing that he does that is remotely like that is that he asks for Charlie to be brought a newspaper at one point. And then from that point on, Charlie's like, I like you, man. Hey, you're all right. (laughs) No, but it's like from that point, they never bring up that Charlie killed his wife. Nope. They never bring up, you know, that like Graham did Abu Ghraib shit for years. Yeah. Like none of this stuff. It's not like they're in this sort of, not like literal purgatory. That's not what happened. I'm lost. But it's not like the metaphorical purgatory, right? Where it's like everybody who's come to this island like has real darkness in their history that they're trying to reckon with in some powerful way. Yep. The, the reckoning just doesn't occur. No, it never happens. And they're not even like adequately tortured. Yeah. <laughs> because they just spend most of their time wandering around and like waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, okay, two more characters show up in episode one as part of the main yeah. cast. We got Mark Renby. Yeah, that's right. Mark Renby is the ex-husband, the aforementioned ex-husband. Yeah, he's like a reporter at a tabloid newspaper. And um, I would describe him as like, if you needed to hire a guy for a sci-fi movie starring Mark Ruffalo, where like cloning is the main thing, <laughs> and you wanted to show a guy who is like, this is what cloning gener- the generation does, like 10 generations in. <laughs> 
Generation 1, Mark Ruffalo. Generation 10, this guy. <laughs> he is very disheveled. He is very, like, snarky. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that he's, like, a little tough but kind. <laughs> um, and he is dogged in his pursuit of the truth of this investigation. Yeah. His whole thing is, like... So, you know, if you've seen the Saw movies, you might know that traditionally they have a trap plot and a cop plot mm-hmm. where sort of one you know, through line of the narrative will be the people who are caught in Jigsaw's traps as they progress through those. And then it will cut between that and scenes of uh, the cops who are investigating what's going on and trying to find them. And Detective Hoffman will be there uh, frequently. Um, <laughs> getting in the Hoffman. way. Um, detective Hoffman. First name Detective, last name Hoffman. Yeah. Um, um, so, one of the most like incomprehensible characters in terms of his like, <laughs> enduring fan base. I, I think it's perfectly comprehensible. He's well, wonderful. We can discuss that off mic. <laughs> um, but no, that is sort of the traditional, you know, narrative construction of a Saw movie. And Persons Unknown, like, imitates that basically. The trap plot is the it's people kind of who are movie. trapped in the town. Um, and the cop plot is Mark Renby on the outside trying to investigate the disappearance of uh, Janet, his ex-wife, and sort of stumbling upon the conspiracy. Yeah. It sucks so bad. Every time it cuts to him, I'm like, why is he on the screen? Why is he on the show? Why is he here? Um, this isn't interesting. It is literally just to cut. Because here's the thing. there's n- It's not like he is uncovering things about the conspiracy that like they don't know because they're inside the town. Yeah. He is literally like, by the end of the show, um, he has just arrived at the conclusion like, oh, they were all in a town this whole time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and his boss yeah. is Cat uh, D'Amato. Great character, I will say. Yeah, I'm she... just going to tweet very quickly off of our uh, podcast account, fuck is this statement necklace <laughs> <laughs> on persons unknown. And uh, if you're listening now, just like go to our Twitter, scroll back however far you need to. It shouldn't be that far, we don't post too often. And just look at her statement necklace. It's longer than you're expecting. She has different statement necklaces in every scene. This one is the most egregious. Yeah, one of them is just like a huge triangle. (laughs) (laughs) This one is so big. I would love if she was a white hotel. (laughs) (laughs) This one is so big that like it dangles past the edge of the frame. You can't see the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Just doing like uh, like how Zack Snyder is like... um, you know, Justice League, my cut of Justice League has to be in 4-3 so you can get, like, the real verticality and the magnitude yeah. of these figures. It's like, I want a 4-3 cut of this show so we can see the whole statement necklace. When that song, which I believe was by Lil Wade, said, uh, do your chain hang low, yeah. he was talking about this necklace. Exactly. Cat <laughs> uh, Tomato. No, she's fun. Her she's whole brassy. Thing, she's a brassy broad. She's the editor at the magazine where Mark Renby works. Yeah. So she is his boss. And the first couple episodes... They're also fucking... Yeah, they are fucking. The first couple episodes, every scene is like, he'll be at his desk investigating the person's unknown, and she'll come over and be like, um, I I need you to be working on the headless homeless story. Yeah. Uh, didn't I tell you there's a story about, um, the vampire queen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, verbatim quote you give me my transvestite first then you can have your missing mom <laughs> yeah her whole thing is she's trying she runs a sleazy magazine yeah. full of you know crazy uh you know characters and stories and she's probably an ambulance chaser and she's yeah. probably friends with the night crawler too my head canon is they're working at crack.com <laughs> 
It's like, damn it, Renvy, I told you, you need to be working on top five 80s songs that are way more messed up than you remember. <laughs> but of course, like, she always relents, right? And it's like, she'll be like, okay, you can keep working on it, but you need a body. Well, think about it. Seven unsolved disappearances that will keep you up at night. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're very much at like a content mill and they're really tacky and one note about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, you know, structurally how the show is going to work, um, as we're going to get to when we like lay out the actual plot stuff of the show, is that every episode is an A plot where stuff happens in the town and a B plot quote unquote. Where, <laughs> where stuff happens in the investigation, also quote unquote. Yeah. Um, there's a couple more characters we should talk about. Yeah. We should talk about Erica, who is the second best black character. character. She is probably the best character. Her whole thing is that, because they all got taken at a certain moment in their lives that that was the last thing they remember. Yeah. Her thing is she was, the last thing she remembers is being um, executed in prison. <laughs> and she went, she woke up in the town, um, which is just funny. Yeah. She was riding her bike and then a lightning strike. And now she reads real fast. She's going to sign some that. <laughs> Uh, stream, where does Kitsia know? <laughs> um, but no, her, she is like, uh, she's great because she is, you know, obviously she's very she, racistly depicted. Extremely racistly depicted. But That's like, not a reason she's great. Her. Right. It's like, I think we, we, the things that are supposed to be like menacing and scary about her is just like, we look at, oh, it's like, oh, she's the only one who has like the proper attitude toward these characters. Well, it's also just like receiving input from the, like receiving a signal from this show that has previously just been static yeah. on the screen. It's like, oh my God, I can see something coming through. We are they, getting a signal. They constantly have these like white noise conflicts with each other that are just like, they're never getting along and like working together in any like concerted way, but they're also just, their conflicts don't have any verve to them, right? Yeah. And she just shows up and immediately starts physically destroying people. Yeah. And she's like flirting with Janet. She wants to fuck Janet. And yeah. she's saying things like, don't, she calls her bright eyes. don't worry, bright eyes, I got you. Yeah. Um, it's just like, okay, there's some jangling keys on the screen. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, she lives in New Jack City. Yeah. It's, um, again, if we have to pick a character out of this show, it's her 100%. Yeah. yeah no uh, because like, she's played with charisma and she does things and she tends to, like, cause unnecessary conflict in at least ways that are fun. Complete antithesis of Bill Blackham, who causes unnecessary conflict in ways that are, like, paint-drying. Exactly. Um, so there are a couple more characters who are involved with the capital P program. Yeah. That is actually the people running this. I think the first one we should talk about probably is the night manager. Yeah, tell me um, about him. So he is the guy who, you know, when they all wake up, they're in this hotel in the town and he walks in and he goes, hello, I am the night manager and I am, uh, I am mysteriously connected, obviously, with the program. Yeah, it's like he does a, uh, you know, kind of, and I can say it, a faggy little, oh, can I help you? Yeah. Um, and they're all like, who are you? I'll kill you. And he just goes, oh, if there's something the matter with your room. He's not yeah. that gay, but like he's, he's, he's quirked up, right? He is so obviously them being like, we could put a Doctor Who on our show. Yeah, we, we can have like a, a Tumblr sexy man quote machine. Yeah. Like he's going to have gift sets of him where he like reacts to being threatened with his life with like, hmm. I'll have to tell my superior about this. No, he is very much, they were trying to like reverse engineer a Wunzler situation. Can I be? My box is full of mysteries. Come on now. I've been holding that one in for weeks. I can tell. 
Um, no, he was very he he was clearly supposed to be the breakout character among yeah. like the Tumblr set. And you've seen what fate befalls him if you watched a preview for this episode, <laughs> <laughs> where he um, he informed uh, Mr. Joe Tucker that um, Ed and Eddie has been <laughs> off the air, which is crazy because you know yeah, Ed and Eddie's been a off while the air <laughs> for some time now. Some time. Um, yeah, so he's he's epic, but not mm-hmm. really. Not really. Uh, there's Tom X, who is the guy who runs the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, so part of the show, again, something that I'm sure they thought was going to be, like, you know, a central fandom element is that the one restaurant in town is this Chinese restaurant. So that's yeah. where they all eat all of their meals. Um, and one of the guys who, you know, works there secretly is, like, running the town, sort of, he's, like, in charge of this instantiation of the program he's always at like a control room when he's yeah. not like serving them food he's watching the cameras that are all over it all all over everywhere and quoting poetry and then they tell you what poem it is they don't even trust you to look that up on wikipedia no, yeah, he quotes he quotes a poem and then um joe is like uh oh don't you quote that poem at me yeah <laughs> joe joe is don't you uh, quote uh, Rupi Kaur, <laughs> <laughs> there again a lot of scenes where because you know we said joe is 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 with the program that like uh you know tom is his contact so there will be a lot of scenes where Joe is arguing, like, I can't do this anymore. And Tom is like, uh, don't, didn't you forget? You're in the program now. Yeah, just like, there, there's two episodes where he says, like, you're violating protocol, like, upwards of ten times. No, there's, yeah, there's there's that episode where he keeps being like, um, um, are you exiting your contract or something like that? Yeah. Uh, are you breaking the rules? Because you know that you're breaking the rules. And that'll mean you exit your contract. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I mean, he's introduced as not, apparently speaking English, but it turns out he does speak English, which, like, talk about buzzer beater TV. There were, like, maybe a year or two left in culture where you could just have the idea of, like, uh, uh, we are placing betting odds on whether the uh, Asian character is pretending to not speak English <laughs> or actually can't speak English as, like, something that was culturally acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got it under the wire on that one. Yeah, so good for him. So let's talk about, I guess, Liam Ulrich as a character is introduced a little late, right? I don't want to talk about him. Okay, we don't have to. All right, let's talk about the director. I don't want to talk about her. Okay, then let's talk about Eyepatch Guy. So here's my question. Yeah. Who do you think Eyepatch Guy is? Because you've written him down here. Yeah. Do you think he's a new character? Is he the night manager again? He's the, he's the night manager again. Now he had a... <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, I don't know what's going on here, because you've written down Eyepatch Guy, who shows up late in the season, as though he's his own character. He is the night manager. The he's, tables have turned. <laughs> he's what becomes of the night manager after the, the beatdown. After the incident, Okay, okay, let's move away from my embarrassment there. Let's talk about Liam Ulrich. He's an Irish guy who is... <laughs> kind of sent in to replace the night manager after the Ed and Eddie incident. He yeah. had previously been like, you know, kind of the exterior control room guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and his deal is that like, he's insanely obsequious. He's like sexually deranged. And he's like, you know, the program it made my life better, <laughs> but I'm always one goon away. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's really susceptible to gooning. He's really susceptible to like, really obvious emotional manipulation. Yeah. And he does, like, really obvious emotional manipulation on other characters as well. Yeah. <sighs> but at least the director's intimidating, right? So here's the problem. Um, this is, like, I think as good a moment as Eddie to reveal that, you know, uh, we do our best mm-hmm. to pay attention. 
<laughs> when, we're watching, right now. when we're watching these shows, uh, we really do. You know, we want to like bring the most that we can to this podcast. Yeah. Um, Persons Unknown was so bad. I would say the last five at least episodes of this show that we watched, maybe four. Let's mm-hmm. say the last four. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I absorbed shit all that happened in any of those four episodes and that was the only ones the director was in i'm yeah i was more a zoomer than i've ever been before yeah i was just like faintly listening to homer ai song tiktoks <laughs> and like searching google image search for like two will defend you the rest will kill you <laughs> no it was oh it no, was I mean, nothing we, the director's we, just like a middle-aged woman who like st- sternly scolds people that's the thing right it's like like, you couldn't get margot martindale huh yeah yeah it's like none of these characters are intimidating none of them like ever seem like a threat or a mastermind or someone who's actually going to have like they all just seem like henpecked middle management even a director right and i get that you kind of want to maybe imply that there's like another link in the chain but like if you're lost when you introduce ben linus he is, for that moment, the scariest motherfucker ever. And then eventually, you maybe sort of tease out that, like, oh, he's another link in the chain. He's maybe not so, like, you know, intimidating under what he tries to project. But for the time being, it's like, watching these guys, there's so many scenes in, like, the last third of the show that are just, like, them, like, having performance reviews with each other. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Where it's just, like, all they're ever saying is, like, okay, this this cycle is only 2.7% of the way to potential reached they should be five percent by now and you know the irish guy's like oh i'm sorry i've been gooning too much <laughs> <laughs> um but no it's it's like it, all the scenes are just like if darth vader just like again gave people like negative performance reviews instead of choking them out with the force yeah exactly um it sucks it it's, sucks it's no sense of antagonism no sense of stakes uh, so those are all our characters, right? We're done with that. Finally, yeah, Jesus. I mean, that was a sh- shocking number, frankly. I mean, that's, that might be the biggest character list we've done so far, which is crazy because there's nothing to any of them. No, no. Um, so what happens in the show, actually? <laughs> we mentioned that there's the cop plots and trap plots, right? Do you want to just, like, dive into those? Because, again, like, the roteness of it is crushing. It's like, it would be a procedural if shit ever actually got solved, but it's like every episode you expect one thing that is like supposed to be a thing that happens, but there's not even like an effort to stop it. You know, they don't even find in like the river sense, the spirit to apologize to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is no like, yeah. The, if they run up against obstacles, there's no like, you know, getting around them because they have to stay in the town. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe they, I would say they don't necessarily. I would say maybe things could develop. Yeah. But like for the sake of this show, they have to stay in the town. So the obstacles they run up into that we'll get into, like they are just obstacles. They're just brick walls. Like they yeah. can't get past them in any meaningful way. Yeah, so the first thing they try to do is just like walk out the town, but there's a uh, microwave fence. It's like which they call it a pain wall, which mm-hmm. you just know that like they thought that that was going to be like a huge deal. Like the, I was, that, was, that phrase was capitalized in like the show Bible. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In fact, in an interview I read with the guy who plays Joe for my research, um, he talks about like, you know, there's the, in the, in the thing about the town is like, there's these like invisible fences. We call them pain walls. <laughs> and you just were like, Oh man, they wanted that to be like a big thing. So bad. 
Um, but no, it is funny. Like the first couple episodes, there's about a million scenes. I think every character at least once has to have a scene where they like are running out of the town and everyone's chasing after them being like, no, stop. And they just run into the, into the pain wall. It's like, like it happens over and over. And like in later episodes, it keeps happening, which is crazy. Cause you'd think they know it would be there by now. Yeah. They go into the pain wall as late as like episode 12. <laughs> Cause there'll be scenes where it's like, Oh, so there's a car coming in. So clearly the pain wall is down and they just run into it again. <laughs> I wish it was as funny as it sounds from that. Like, no, yeah. It, it, it's it's that, but also, like, somehow just torturously slow. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, they, they learn about things that, you know, uh, impede their efforts to escape. They try to make it out, but the pain wall gets them. <laughs> they try to tunnel out, but the tunnels get filled with gas. Yeah. Um, they then get, like, a, a, a helicopter drops them, like, a pallet of gas masks, but not enough yeah. for everyone. This is a thing where it's like, oh, so this will be like... Because I think this was literally episode two, if I recall. It's like episode three, I think. Is it episode three? Well, yeah. it, it, at this point, I was like, oh. oh. They, they exhausted the immediate, like, we're trying to escape. Yeah. That's been foiled. Now we're settling into, like, the episodic stuff where yeah. it's like, here's your jigsaw test for the week. Exactly. So in this first test, they get this pallet drop with all these gas masks in it, but there's mm-hmm. not enough for everyone. There's only, like, three, I think. Crazy. Three for the seven of them. Yeah. So, of course, they're, like, the whole episode is fighting over who gets to have a gas mask because, obviously, at some point, we're all going to get gas. Would you give me the gas mask? I would give you the gas mask. Of course I would. I would give you the gas mask right back because okay. I can hold my breath long. Then we'd both die just holding the gas mask between us but you a little longer mm-hmm. um so no the the what's funny about this one is that like again classic jigsaw type stuff um the twist at the end of the episode after they've all been fighting over who gets to have the gas mask is that you know the gas starts to pour in and like oh fuck you know we're some of them like mr blackham is like you know fights someone to get his gas mask but the twist is the gas they're pumping into the room is harmless gas. And then the gas masks themselves start to fill with like a dangerous looking CGI green gas. And actually it was the masks <laughs> that were, that were gas that were poison gas. <laughs> and so having a mask is actually, is actually what's bad, <laughs> which is like, again, but none of the characters who have the masks even die or anything. No, they don't, because they all they all survive. They, they don't suffer any, like, major injury. They get the masks off. <laughs> it's just, like... It, 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 again, it's like... I, I would have accepted, like, okay, is every episode gonna have, like, a really stupid jigsaw-type thing like that? Like, that will kind of be boring and suck. But, you know, it won't be the worst thing in the world. Um... But just like in the next episode, they're just trying to get out again. Like that—that that is fundamentally what the show becomes. It's like there's really not game twisted games they have to play. After that, so I was just holding my breath to prove that I could hold it for a good amount of time. <laughs> I know. I, I was wait. I want. I didn't want to like force this show you. Really, like, uh, proved to us the role of enrichment in our lives. <laughs> we needed so much enrichment to get through this show. Yeah. Um. Yeah, oh, so there's, there's also a plot with, like, fortune cookies. Yeah, and the, and the first episode, um, Janet, because they all have fortune cookies at the Chinese restaurant, and Janet says, kill your neighbor and you'll go free. And, of course, the next episode, she's agonizing over whether to do it. There is a very funny moment <laughs> where she's, of course, agonizing over whether to do it or not. And then, like, at a certain point in the episode, she gets handed another little fortune cookie note, or, like, she finds it, and it says, 
kill Joe and you'll go free. Yeah. As though, like, the program thinks the problem is she doesn't know who her neighbor is. Yeah. Like, to be clear, we are talking about Joe. It just, like, hands her a little slip that, like, explains the, the geography of the hotel. <laughs> just an arrow between the two rooms. Neighbor. Like, this one. <laughs> it's a logic puzzle thing. Like, those ones we were doing earlier today where it's like, okay, well, does adjacent mean that it could be diagonal or not? <laughs> so she just needed another clue to the logic puzzle. And she's like, in, in case you were thinking that, like, it's a thing where, like, all men are brothers and we are all each other's neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we meant i'd like to believe that i like to believe that too yeah we, we can make a better world <laughs> to the next month where we make a better world so then tori dies um no, what happens no, there no, so there's an episode no, where it's no, like a truck no. rolls into town and no, it's you're like lying she doesn't die let me set up the narrative for our listeners <laughs> so that they could be surprised as we were because we were so shocked by this turn of events. Yeah. Is this kvetching? Is the, no, kvetching would be like if I was like <laughs> complaining and whining about like, you know, something that had happened oh, to me. A country mile. <laughs> no, I mean, you were fairly close. Okay. But I don't think you kvetch to someone about what they have done to you. <laughs> okay. You say that I've done this TV show to you. You've done, you have made me the person unknown. Yeah. So um, please go on. No, so there's a whole episode where like, you know, Tori, uh, uh, well, what happens basically is like a, a truck rolls into town that can surpass, bypass the pain walls. Mm-hmm. So a couple characters like hijack it. Well, no, okay. So they get into it. And then like when they're like halfway down this mysterious abandoned road that it's taking them on, they hijack it. Um, and then they keep driving. But of course it takes them directly back into the other end of town. Um, well, and then like, you know, that's, that was just the whole episode for them. But then later that, yeah. <laughs> to be clear, that was the entirety of the episode. What this makes me think of is that in the game Deus Ex Human Revolution, one of the sort of like can takedown animations when you're doing like a non-lethal double takedown is uh, that one of the guys that you're fighting just does like a flying spin kick at you and you just duck it and they go sailing over your head and you just don't get up from that. Right? <laughs> like, well, that's, I'm done for today. <laughs> And that's so much of, like, what character plots feel like on this yeah. show. And it's just funny because so much of character dialogue feels like another day of sex kick. <laughs> the first day of sex. Yeah. The way people... They really don't have much of a business. No, I don't have much of a business. Yeah. I guess I'll take your weapons. I don't know. Here's the key to the front entrance. I don't have much of a business. I think I'll take your weapons. I don't know. Don't fuck with me. Yeah. Um, we'll drop in some clips from that. um yeah it's fuck where are we joe he's the program well we we need to finish talking about tori how long is this taking (laughs) so the whole thing with tori is that she gets into the truck that passes by again later that night and then like mark renby and kat see on the news that like oh notorious socialite tori uh has died that's why she's called tori because she's notorious (laughs) that's her name yeah her name is Notorious Fairchild. Um, that she has died. Of course, later on, the very last scene of the show, uh, we see that she survived. But for the, all intents and purposes, she's died. And that's when Erica enters the picture. No, to she like, was alive before that. We see, when did we see that she... What? Okay, so the next plot is that um, Joe is a program guy. And they, like, take him back because he started to, like, go off script and, yeah. you know, like, uh, break protocol. 
and they just put him in like the most sci-fi channel ass like rejuvenation yeah. chamber where they're like you know refresh your loyalty to the program or die yeah and the person who's like trying to convince him to do that is tori who's now like oh yeah i realize oh, the program is I th- good I, see i thought that was supposed to be just like a vision you yeah, know? but then she's alive later. So but like, she is alive later, so I guess that must have just been her. Okay. Yeah, no, she's she was just alive the whole time. No, that's true. Anyway, yeah, no, the, this set is extremely like taking place in Warehouse Thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got like ECW superstars from two thousand nine <laughs> that are going to to guest on this. No, yeah. Um, so yeah, there is this whole thing where Joe has to go through this like hallucinatory journey to be reprogrammed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where he becomes balder. They shave his head <laughs> yeah. uh, in order to accomplish this. And then he comes back and he's like, has no memories and he's violent and he uh, tries to kill the night manager. And he likes black women now. And he like, <laughs> and he's, he's much more attracted to Erica. Yeah. No, that, that doesn't actually happen. But like, uh, um, Janet, who had been, like, developing, like, a real love connection with him beforehand, she's trying to, like, rekindle that. And he just looks at her and is like, you're not my type. And we were just joking at that point. It's like, what if he just goes up to Erica and is like, hey there, soul sister, looking for a street soldier. <laughs> <laughs> she just perforates him. <laughs> she just punches, like, directly yeah. through him. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would have been so cool. That would have been great. No, and then, like, the show kind of devolves into a lot of, like, loops of, like, we can't trust Joe. Yeah. But actually, he has all the information. Yeah. But- it's like, uh, Erica does some of that, like, when she appears, like, pretty much right after Tori leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, after Joe gets taken, she takes a break from that. Uh, but then the moment he's back, she just immediately, again, leading in charge of, like, we can't trust this guy. We gotta torture him until he gives information. <laughs> And Chadwick is again just being like, oh, that doesn't produce actual intel. And Chadwick says, well, we tortured some folk. Yeah, the, <laughs> uh, if you want to read the torture report, it's at this website. <laughs> I read that a couple times. You read the torture report? Yeah, when I was in college. Because well, I was like, and this is going to convince people. I mean, we all the quote from it. Convince people of what? The torture's bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought the fact that you could quote from it would convince people of something. No, people knew that I could quote from it. <laughs> Um, so next up, basically, like, this is, at this point, Liam Ulrich shows up to replace the night manager. Sucks. Uh, yeah, he sucks. He falls madly in love with Janet. Janet, who is, like, totally unremarkable average middle-aged woman, on this show, has these... Is it what? Huh? Okay, go to the Wikipedia page for the show. Yeah. Tell me the age of the actress who plays her at the time. Daisy Betts. Yeah. She is currently... 41. Okay. And the show ran how many years ago? Was it 14 years ago? 14. Okay, hang on. So she was... 27? Yeah. She was younger than me in this? Yeah, she was younger than you. That's not true. Again, these... Whenever we mention this, it is not to shame the actresses in question. It is to point out how uniquely capable these shows are of making, like, perfectly attractive, like... Hollywood actresses like our age look 40 and yeah. mid and keeping in mind that they have done that this character is meant to have such like solar sexual dynamism yeah that she convinces two men to abandon the program yeah <laughs> she is so like irresistibly magnetic 
Yeah, just like if this show had gone on for longer, there would just been a scene where it's like they send a guy from a program to like bring her in, and he just like falls in front of her knees and starts scooting. <laughs> and they send another guy to retrieve the first guy. He just falls in front of her knees and starts scooting. I keep in mind. I don't like how much I'm talking about Gooding this episode, but it's where my life yeah. has led me. And again, the only thing this character ever says is, I want my daughter back. Yeah. <laughs> and men see that and are like, I will betray all of my commitments for you. Yeah, all of these are like the opposite of, you know, like a, a 4chan relationships guy where they're like, I will raise another man's <laughs> son. <laughs> so yeah, so um, at this point, because Liam Ulrich has become compromised um, by her pussy... Um, the mm-hmm. director decides to pull the plug, yeah. uh, to, she, she says, she, we're, we're going to flush 27 is yeah. how they put it or something like that. Um, and <laughs> they, they try one last attempt to walk up to the, the paid wall. Liam Ulrich goes up to the paid wall and in the most $5 effect I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. He just like squints his eyes and yells. Yeah. He and... just goes, ah, and then it cuts to Blackham who like, you don't even see the blood splatter on his face. No, he just, it just shows Ulrich screaming, and then it cuts to Blackham with blood already on his face, yeah. and then another character goes, oh my god, he exploded. Yeah, again, verbatim. <laughs> One character says, his head just exploded, and another character says, I can't believe they did this. <laughs> There's nothing, like, remaining of him that yeah. you see he just like it cuts away from him and we're just told what happened i mean to, to quote a great man he didn't fly so good he didn't fly so good who's next um <laughs> so the way they finally basically what uh flushing 27 means is that like they're all just going to be like they're just going to make it a pressure cooker until they all kill each other and the way they do this is they like drop a bunch they drop six body bags into the town right mm-hmm. and, and the implication is like you know, only one of you is going to make it out and this will lead all of the participants of the town to kill each other because they're all afraid. Yeah. And uh, does it work? Well, it seems to at first, although clever viewers may notice that a bunch of incredibly disturbing scenes. (laughs) It's like August Underground's boredom in here. No, it is really... reference for all the gore hounds out there. (laughs) (laughs) It is really funny that like... um, like for most of the episode you're meant to believe that everyone is just killing each other that that is just how the season is going to end and and if you did believe that then you would have to also believe at the same time it's like oh they really ran out of budget like all these kills cost five dollars as well right yeah it's like like, my favorite one is um is chadwick like falls like off of a second story balcony yeah it's like not even 10 feet and he is presumably about six feet tall yeah he's hanging off the balcony (laughs) so he's already like only really four feet off the ground yeah and you can see him land on his feet and then sort of like scoot backwards (laughs) and we are meant to believe at this point that he is done for which is so funny in the like inevitable reveal montage when they show like oh this is what actually happened yeah and they're they're all hysterical because like some of them are just like obvious like Oh, well, that's like, you know, you think she's like banging her head in the door, but actually she's blocking it with something. So she's not doing like that's that's silly. Um, But the Chadwick one is so funny because it just shows him again falling onto his feet. It's like we saw that happen. (laughs) We're not getting any new information about how he survived this. It was very obviously survivable before. Yeah. The one where um, Janet dies is also really funny because it's like she drinks some poisoned wine, uh, allegedly poisoned that Joe gave her. And we see him, like, uh, just 
putting some sort of mysterious powder in there, but it's like, wait, why did you need to fake that? That's the thing, yeah. It's like, oh, you see, you thought he was poisoning the wine, but actually he was putting something else in there. But it's like, why? But, like, all you had to do was have her, like, fake choke and fall down. What was the utility of pretending to put something in the wine at all? Yeah. I think it'd be really funny if they all just said, like, but let's actually kill Blackett, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just a bonus of this whole thing. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. He, like, doesn't, he's, like, not even a real person. Yeah, like, let's do irreversible to him, and then all the rest (laughs) of our kills are just, like, um, you know, we go vaguely near a stove, and we say, Yowch! Hot, 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 And then we fall down and stick our tongues out. (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy, oh, boy. It's not good. No, they all... So they all escape based on that. They just sort of post up in the body bags and nobody checks their pulse or anything and then they climb out of the body bags and like derail the van yeah they all so the last episode is they've all seemed to escape back to the real world but like you know janet wakes up in a hospital and no one will believe that what she's gone through mm-hmm. and then i'm gonna be honest i don't know what the fuck happens in the last episode i was not You'll paying attention a chance to prove yourself <laughs> i can't wait we'll get to that let's talk about the cop the cop plot very quick um, sure. Well, I mean, we should say how the end, how the trap plot ends. Yeah, well, because it's also how the cop plot ends. That's true. I guess it is connected. So let's yeah. let's talk about the, the cop plot and what's been going on in that while everything we've been describing is going very on. Very straightforward and very boring. Let's breeze through this one. Yeah. Because it's like the one thing that happens for the first few episodes is that our discount Mark Ruffalo guy, um, Renby? Is that his name? Mark Renby. Yeah. Renby goes and collects evidence about like you know some missing persons that might be linked and whatnot and then this one specific goon just shows up and is like i'll be taking that off you boss <laughs> and then he goes like no my evidence <laughs> and that happens him like three times yeah he, three times he keeps like finding the files that this guy's taken and then like an hour later the guy will show up and be like um i'll be taking that back thank you yeah and then he and uh, Kat, they travel to Italy, uh, where they have a lead on, I think this is like after... This is after Tori quote-unquote dies. Yeah, Tori's death has been reported. Because like her dad is like the ambassador to Italy. Yeah. Um, used to be CIA director washed. <laughs> Why? He must have really pissed someone off at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah, Udonis Haslam-style player. <laughs> um, no, but like while they're there, they learn basically that's like... Uh, I mean, all that happens to them in Italy is that, like, six different guys just, like, go up to them and say, like, buongiorno, signore. Uh, You are being watched all the time. Every surveillance is compromised. (laughs) You can trust no one except for the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just all that fucking happens to them. That's it, yeah. That's Um, it. There's an Italian guy that looks like... I don't want to say, like, a nicer version of Renby, but just, like, a smoother version of Renby. He looks, like, exactly like this guy. Yeah. And it is, like, he looks unhelpfully similar to, to Mark Renby, is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, you can tell the difference because he's smoother. He is smoother, um, but that's about it. He's less disheveled, obviously. But, like, I'm sorry, like... You need these two guys to look a little bit different. A little, you gotta help me out here. yeah. So they travel from Italy to Argentina where they find a woman who used to be part of the program. And, and she's like the twin sister yeah, of the, the director, director, it turns out. But she's like, you know, she abandoned the program so they put her in a mental institution because mm-hmm. she seems crazy now. Yeah. And at this point, it's like, you know, nobody trusts them anymore. 
they have no money. They're trying to figure out, like, how are you going to get back to the U.S.? They're, like, attacked eventually, like, during a border crossing, and they have to, like, run. Yeah. They find the town. Yeah, the fi- town's already been cleared yeah, out. Yeah, the town's empty. And so it's like, in body bags. this must be a different town. Yeah. Right? I guess it's all the same. Yeah, I will say, you know, in Cabin in the Woods, for all that movie's faults, mm-hmm. when they were running different instantiations of their little game, they were all in different unique locations. Yeah. And wouldn't it have been interesting for them to find, like, you know... What if there was a different town and there was something different about it? <laughs> yeah, and you get a sense of like, oh, this is how this town's game ended, right? Like, yeah. you see just like all these scorch marks everywhere, and it's like, yeah. oh, what? what they had to fight to the one? fire beast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just see like a, a, a fire beast with a very full belly, <laughs> <laughs> snoozing happily. Yeah, 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 yeah. just honking. <laughs> uh, I love that. We love the fire beast. Can we get the fire beast on screen, please? Can we get the fire beast to guest on our podcast. Um, they make it back to the U.S., but they're discredited, and no one will believe them. And they're like, "You guys were tabloid hacks at best, and then you fucked off for three months, and we're arresting you for killing Janet." Um, and then that is when our two plots converge, because everyone is recaptured. That's right. Everyone in the main cast just gets recaptured again. They get split into two programs. Yeah, so Joe and Mark Renby, because Joe is the one who stayed behind from the body bag plan. Yeah. So they wake up again in the town with just a new group of people. Yeah. The same town. Yeah. Uh, Like, the game has restarted. They're going around and telling everyone how to get out of the room, like the keys in the Bible from the first episode of the show. Yeah. And Um, then everyone else. Everyone else awakens in this what they think is also the same hotel. But when they go into the elevator, something's different. Yeah, it opens up onto, like, a ship in the middle of the ocean, and the effects cost $5. Yeah. And the night manager tells them, welcome to level two. (laughs) And that is how, and that is what the show goes on, goes out on. Welcome to level two. Dog shit. Absolute horse malarkey Esther, i've got a little game for you all right i'm gonna play let's let's play the game i will think of like intro music to put here for, yeah for, for a little game show we're playing this time hello zap right yes <laughs> yeah you've just been hearing the dulcet tones of hello zap um so what you're gonna do is in our notes document scroll down to page eight okay what i have prepared for you are episode synopses for the last couple episodes okay. uh where i have added uh, a fake sentence and uh you are gonna read them and try to figure out what the fake sentence is <laughs> okay okay so i will i will start with episode episode 10 right irishman liam ulrich replaces the fallen night manager and tells the abductees that they must stay in the second floor due to security purposes to keep them at ease ulrich leaves a little memento in their hotel rooms i remember that because of the mementos moira and mcnair look back at their troubled childhoods Charlie reads about his business from a newspaper, and Joe is given the old Bible he had when he was a priest. It's also revealed that Erica's real name is Teresa Randolph. Meanwhile, Kat and Renby are in what is believed to be a duplicate town created by the program and see the men in blue suits moving dead bodies to the bank vault. They discover all of the bodies have severed thumbs and then are startled by Stefano, as the Italian guy, who severed the thumbs himself to identify the bodies. In Rome, Ambassador Fairchild believes the program is closing in on him and calls in a favor from an old friend. As the episode ends, the Madam Director warns Ulrich not to be romantically involved with Janet when he has already started giving her better treatment than the other abductees. So you're telling me that something I just read 
didn't happen? Yeah, I made one of those up. No, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You I can s- do this, Esther. <laughs> I added one of those, it doesn't happen in the show. Okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm positive that all of these did happen. Fascinating. I'm positive. I remember these. Okay. Then what did I add? <laughs> so, okay. The thing about the mementos, I remember. Mm-hmm. Process of elimination. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the thing about... So, okay. I remember the thing about the severed thumbs. Mm-hmm. I remember the thing about the ambassador. And I remember the thing about the Madam Director warning Ulrich. So I here's what I'm narrowing it to. Here's what I'm Hannah's looking at me with a shocked, shocked expression. Here's what I'm narrowing it down to. I'm I'm pretty sure the fake one is either um Erica's real name being Teresa Randolph. Uh-huh. Or Kat and Renby seeing men in blue suits moving dead bodies. Uh-huh. Oh, pick one of those. I think the fake one is Erica being named Teresa Randolph. That absolutely happened in the show. No! But then what's fake? In Rome, Ambassador Fairchild believes the program is closing <laughs> it on him and calls it a favor from an old friend. No, that happened. I, I swear to God that happened. You said there a scene where he's like... I'm now less sure of this than you are. <laughs> <laughs> abort, abort. We're not doing the other ones in the game. Wait, wait, wait. No, I want to do the other one. Hello, Seth. Play Hello's F again, please. No, no, no. I, I want to keep doing this. This is fun. Okay. So, episode 12. I noticed we've skipped episode 11, by the way. Yeah. As they did in real life. Exactly. Episode 12. The abductees find six body bags in the bank vault. They do the math and realize that six of them are going to die. Joe explains that they will kill each other off. He flashes back to a previous cycle that he helped terminate as part of the program, which included the woman he loved. Ulrich is later killed after trying to assist them to escape. We talked about that. Meanwhile, Renby and Kat trace the program to the Mansfield Institute, officially a scientific, educational, and charitable nonprofit group. When they travel to the Mansfield Institute's headquarters and make a commotion, the Madam Director notes that no one has gotten so close to them before. Did I mess up and spell the Institute's name differently? You did. Okay. But I don't know which one is right. You couldn't, couldn't even begin to know. Yeah. Back in the town, the abductees start killing each other, when the program believes that everyone but Joe is dead, they place them in body bags and ship them out of the town. When safely out of the town, the killings are revealed to have been an elaborate hoax. Everyone comes out of the body bags and attack the driver, resulting in the van swerving off-road and rolling down a hillside. The episode ends with Joe being tased by the program. Okay. First off, number one, the phrase, the episode ends with Joe being tased by the program, just gives you a sense of how little this show cares about, like, endings and hooks and whatnot. Second off... Why do these synopses have so many issues with subject-verb agreement? <laughs> okay, so which sentence is it? Okay. I, again, we talked about a lot of this happening. The yeah. stuff with the, the body bags and them all killing each other. Mm-hmm. And the stuff at the end is all real. That is 100% all real. Yeah. Ulrich is later killed. We talked about that. That's real. Right. I think what's fake is Renby and Kat trace the program to the Mansfield Institute, officially a scientific, educational, and charitable nonprofit group. Right, and you you got that because I wrote Mansfield Institute instead of Manfield Institute. Well, I think it's either that and it's like, oh, it's not. Whatever they trace is not actually scientific and whatever. Yeah. Or it's that they meet the Madam Director, which I, I don't really remember if that happens. Yeah. But it seems like it could. So it's one of those two. Lock it in. 
I think it's the first one. I think it's the man's. It's not officially a scientific. Okay, it's one neither of them. of them. That typo no. is from the Wikipedia article. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You're fucking it's, kidding. What I added was he flashes back to a previous cycle that he helped terminate as part of the program, which included the woman he loved. <laughs> that didn't happen. No. <laughs> This is not fucking possible. I could, I'm realizing I could have put another character in the character <laughs> list. And Esther would have just talked to me about it. It's like, oh, I hated this guy. He was so annoying. Okay. After episode 13, this is our last one. After the vehicle accident, the group is split up. Moira and Erica make their way to Morocco. Charlie and Blackham are somewhere in America driving aimlessly in a stolen car. Janet is hospitalized in the psychiatric wing of a hospital in San Francisco. McNair has been taken captive by the program. Joe remains in their custody after having sacrificed himself so the others could escape. When Renby and Kat find out Janet is in the hospital, they go to her to uh, find her only to be abducted by the men in blue. The Madam Director proves to have influence at the hospital, posing as a doctor and dismissing Janet's stories of the town as delusions. Janet escapes and makes her way to her mother's house to be reunited with her daughter. Sam takes Janet and her daughter toward the border, stopping overnight in a hotel. When Janet awakens, she is back in the hotel of the town. She exits her room to discover Moira, Charlie, Erica, Bill, and Graham have all been returned as well. Meanwhile, Kat is taken to a horrifying prison camp and caged. <laughs> Ambassador Fairchild is there as well. <laughs> Joe also awakens in the town hotel and discovers a whole new group of abductees, including Renby. Their hotel manager is Tori. I might have overplayed my hand with this one. <laughs> Janet's group boards the hotel elevator, and it opens up to reveal that they're actually on a massive boat in the middle of the ocean, not back in the town. They're met by the old night manager, who says to them, welcome to level two. Lastly, the name of the ship is, <laughs> is revealed to be Almas Perdidas, a Spanish or Portuguese phrase, which translates to lost souls. So, okay. Yeah. I think you're going to get this one. All of the ending stuff is real. Yeah. This is one is really hard. Yeah? Because, like, were Charlie and Blackham driving aimlessly in a stolen car? I certainly don't know. Go with your gut. But here's the thing. Yeah. I remember the stuff about the director posing as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Here's what I have no memory of. Yeah. Janet escapes and makes her way to her mother's house to be reunited with her daughter. Sam takes Janet and her daughter toward the border, stopping overnight in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Cat is taken to a horrifying prison camp and caged. Ambassador Fairchild is there as well. I honestly, can I be honest? It's yeah. got to be that one. There's no way that. <laughs> I just, I, I don't remember that. Okay. I, I, I have no memory You're locking of that. that in? I'm locking in the horrifying. Zero for three. I didn't add anything to this one. What? <laughs> <laughs> I expected you to get like at least one. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. That's okay. crazy. This experiment went horrifyingly right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. No, all of that happened? Yeah. So your memories of the show were just that week. That I, I mean, was able to deceive you. At least the last few episodes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, our memories were so horrible about this show. It sometimes felt like we had just been like neuralized. Like, <laughs> right. Um, and that actually brings us to a discussion of a certain type of memory loss that one may experience around the NBA. That's right. It's time for another episode of the Smashed McDouble. It's the Smashed McDouble. And this time, what we are going to be discussing is a very brief segment. We're already running pretty long, I feel like. 
uh, where we just talk about things that we would love to forget in the NBA. Like if we, for example, watched a show like this and it fucked with our memories by being interminable, or if the program did that thing that they did in Joe in the like sci-fi warehouse <laughs> and it fucked with our memories somehow. Things that we would love to just forget either because we don't want to know them at all or because we would experience the joy of learning them for the first time. And uh, for those of you who think that we're a certain kind of NBA fan, no, we're not going to be saying some shit like, oh man, I would forget those charges that they put on Kobe or D-Rose. No, no, that's not us. Uh, but do you have one? <laughs> okay, so I've got two. First of all, um, I would forget everything about basketball so I could experience the joy of it for the first time That's all so over cute. again. <laughs> Neither of mine are that sweet. <laughs> yeah, no, I taught us her about basketball. And now she knows way more about it than I do because well, I don't watch games because I'm shy. <laughs> neither of those are true. I mean, I liked basket. I've always liked basketball because I grew up in Connecticut, which is yeah. like UConn's a huge thing, UConn mm-hmm. basketball. But I was not really into well, the see, NBA. I got all. you into the NBA. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got into the NBA to impress Hannah. That's so cute. That it worked. Literally it, worked. True. it worked. And I love basketball. Man. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I'll say that I would like to forget is um, that Tyrese Halliburton is a wonderful person and a really fun player because, like, my team, the Bucks, have a rivalry with his team right now. <laughs> they hate each other. And I would love to be able to, like, actually get into that and hate, you know, uh, uh, Hallie, hate the entire Pacers organization, send them death threats. But I just can't do that right now, and it's a real weakness in my life. Yeah. I mean, the obvious other answer for me is the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't want to forget what I experienced, you know, at the time, mm-hmm. um, because the experience of watching it and seeing it happen was so wonderful. So what I'll pick instead is the Denver Nuggets sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> in the conference yes! finals last year, because like that was fun to watch as well, but I really think it would make me happy to be able to just learn that that happened Yeah. again. I mean, similarly on a spite level, what I would love to forget as my second entry is, um, I would love to have my memory of every failed super team wiped so I could experience all of those anew, right? Like yeah. the the 2010s Nets super team, the 2020s Nets super team, the 2010s Lakers super team, the 2020s Lakers super team. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Thunder one in there as well. Sure. Just all these failed super teams that just like completely ate shit. I would love to see all of those from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, everybody being like, now this is going to be fun. <laughs> and then just like, why did you think that like three 35-year-old players <laughs> were going to lead you to a ring? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't have anything else to say about this. No, I'm, I'm not thinking about basketball anymore because of a rather embarrassing loss my team suffered the other night. <laughs> Is that a 7.5 point loss, right? Yeah, but the agendas, when the, the Denver Nuggets lose to the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think about agendas at all. The, the, if my team loses, then I assume it must be because we suck and we're going to be a lottery team and fuck the NBA. If my team loses, it's because, uh, you know, fucking Adam Silver's league, you know, he doesn't want he doesn't want a, a soulful team like the Denver Nuggets yeah. <laughs> to succeed. He will do everything in his power to ensure that they don't. Yeah, every time the Bucks lose, I'm just like, I shouldn't have traded for Little. He's not a top 15 point guard anymore. <laughs> okay, this has been another episode of the Smashed Muck Double. Let's get back to the main show and uh, take this home. Yeah. 
Um, do we have much else to say? Like, we, we should just, like, run through a little speed runs of, like, what else sucks about the show that we haven't beaten to death already. Yeah. Um, let's talk about character stuff. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it is just that, like, in the same way that, like, Flash Forward was such a miserable show to watch because everyone hated each other and was fighting and yelling. Yeah. This is that all over again. Yeah, we mentioned that, like, everybody's tough but kind, but, like, that doesn't stop them all from just, like, constantly being at each other's throats. Yeah. And, and having these interminable fucking fights where they're like, you know, you're endangering us. No, you're preventing us from escaping. No, we shouldn't tr- trust Joe. We should kill Joe. And it just never ends. Like, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is that, like, you know, on a good TV show, you want this feeling that, like, the characters can have conflict with each other. But on a fundamental level, like, they should be, you know, it should be nice to spend time with them. Because TV as a medium is about, like, spending a lot of time with these people. Yeah. Um, And a big part of that is, like, they have to seem like they are, on some level enjoying the time that they're spending with each other. They can have conflict. They can have tension. They need that. But like, if all they're ever doing is hating each other and fighting with each other, mm-hmm. you're going to be miserable. It's going to be like being around people who hate each other and are always fighting with each other. It yeah. sucks. Uh, even like a character like Rust Cole from True Detective, it's like, he's very self-consciously miserable all the time, but it's like, you know, he has fun being the weirdest motherfucker in the room. Yeah. When he says shit like, I don't, I don't sleep. Mm. I dream. <laughs> yeah. He knows what that's doing to everyone around him. Yeah. It tickles him. Um, yeah, it's... They constantly attack and yell. But it's also just, like, the character beats are endlessly repeated. Like, in episode four, there was a moment where I was briefly, like, actually feeling the show working for me. It was when Tori is starting to be like, damn, my dad's not getting me out of here, but I'm still convinced that it's him. Well, maybe I'll try to, like, seduce someone else because that's, like, all I know, right? Like, my dad's been kind of, like pimping me out basically since I was like you know old enough for that to happen and she tries to like seduce the night manager and it's like really pathetic and really just like oh it's so transparent and you really feel for her for just throwing anything at the wall and I remember like being moved by that scene a little bit and then she does that same scene like 15 times for the rest yep. of the episode that's just yeah it's just like over oh and I'll over. try to seduce Blackham now oh that also didn't work um, I'll look at cameras and be like, dad, please get me out of here. As if I haven't done that like a million times before. Yeah. It's, it's so repetitive. Um, they also just like don't have a sense of an ensemble. That's a big part of it. Like, again, something we talk about a bunch is like something that a great ensemble show will do is find interesting pairings. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that like, you know, game when game of Thrones was really good. It was really great at being like, Let's find two characters who you wouldn't think would like yeah. be interesting together and we'll put them together. Or lost. Or of course lost, yes. Yeah, it's like you might not have seen an episode where like Saeed and Charlie hang out, but like once it starts happening, you have an immediate sense of like, yes, that's exactly how it would go down. Like Charlie would be like really squirrely and intimidated by like Saeed's like, you know, war experience and Saeed would be like cool as a cucumber, but eventually like warm up to him and whatnot. And it's like, you know how these dynamics are going to work because these are like characters that have enough to them that you can just pair them up like that. This show, it's like, okay, uh, Joe and Jane are a pair. Tori and Mora are a pair. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you remember back at the start of this episode, uh, Charlie and Blackham are a pair. When Tori leaves, Graham just takes over her slot. Yep. When Joe gets taken, Erica just takes over his slot. Yep. It is just like... It is absolutely interminable because it's just 
there's only so many things you can have these characters do in their dynamic. We've talked about how fucking unwatchable the Charlie and Blackham stuff is. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just the same beat over and over and over again. But it's the same for all of these pairs. And it's like, one of the reasons to have an ensemble is so that you can have different people interact with each other in different ways. Yeah. Like, endless combination. Not endless, literally, but like, endless combinations of dynamics. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, can you think of a time when like, Janet and Blackham have a scene no. of note or like if like the only way that those characters ever interact is if they're part of ensemble scenes where they're yelling at each other right exactly like if she's just one of four people being like you're not helping Blackham yeah exactly it is just like just um, completely missing the point of having an ensemble in the first place yeah um let's talk about like narrative stuff briefly as like our last little bit before yeah. we jump on here um Number one thing is that just like I don't think that there's much to latch onto. It's super repetitive, um, and we mentioned all the way back in like our threshold episode how powerful it can be to have an episode of a show that's about a town that's fucked. And there's two things that prevent this show from reaching that. Is that number one, the town isn't fucked enough, right? No, it's like it is just a normal. <laughs> First of all, they only ever go in like two buildings, right? Yeah. They go in the hotel. They go Do in the, the movie ch- theater. They never go in. Yeah, wrong. Well, late, late in the Not season. <laughs> late in the season, we just see in the background of a shot that there's a movie theater in the town, and it's like, why don't they ever go in there? Yeah. Like they don't explore at all. Yeah, watch some like public domain movies that like comment on what's going on in yeah. some way. At one point, like there's like a, a general store, I think, and like a clothing store that they briefly go into at one point, mm-hmm. but like there is just like there's no sense of place. Yeah. to this site-specific loss to, like... Yeah, and it's also just, like, not enough weird shit happens to them. Yeah. Like, the... There's the gas mask episode, but that's kind of it, you know? It's yeah. not like... They don't play enough twisted games. Yeah, they don't discover new things that make the town awful, right? It's not like they start digging, and it turns out that, like, you know, their shovel starts melting because, like, <laughs> 20 feet under, you know, it's, it's like, hot as, you know, the core of the earth. Um, of, it's not fucked enough. And it's not town enough, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, this is getting ahead of us ourselves, but, like, you mentioned that in your research there are people who are comparing this to Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is a populated-ass town. Yeah, Twin it's Peaks. It's full of weird characters. This has two. That's the thing. It's like, why didn't every bu- little building... Like, the Chinese restaurant has the workers there. Like, why didn't the clothing store have a weird employee who's part of it? Why didn't, yeah. you know, the movie theater they go in and it's like there's a guy who's playing weird movies? Like, yeah, wh- why isn't there a menacing haberdasher? <laughs> exactly. Like, there's just nothing to work with. It's like, you know, it is very video gamey, but it's like playing the alpha. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, we haven't really finished, like, building out the town yet. Like, yeah. <laughs> we designed some more NPCs, so a lot of it's going to seem kind of empty. And, like, we haven't really come up with any missions yeah, yet for you to actually do. So all you can kind of do is walk around. It's like a dragon position and the night manager is the hinterlands where it's like we developed this guy first and he has like 50x amount of detail of everything else in the town <laughs> um aesthetics very quickly awful i mean it looks like a saw movie a lot of the time except it's even worse because they grade they color grade the uh the cop plots to look like trap plots yes it's like again look at that screenshot that we took of the statement necklace it's so fucking green. It's hideous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like super low budget everywhere. No attempt to, to create like a real sense of place to the town. No real like iconic shots of the town. 
Um, and then, like, when they try to convey something like flashbacks, it's, like, it goes even beyond a standard, like, you know, let's shake the camera and have a lot of, like, sound effects going, like, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. It's, it's hideous all around. Um, let's talk about how we really feel. <laughs> That's why we hate the show, but there are shows that suck, but still get long runs. Why do we think this one failed so hard? So, I mean, really what it comes down to is that, like, there's no hook to this. You know what I mean? Like, there is no... I, I think if you... Fundamentally, the problem is, like, in when they're in the town, they're not trying to uncover the mystery. And the part of the show where the guy is trying to uncover the mystery, like, he just gets to, like, you know, square one um, by the end of the series. There's no, like, on Lost where they're constantly trying to, like, you know, learn new things and they're always discovering new stuff and stuff like that. So, like, there's really nothing to latch onto. Like, the, you know, why, why are you tuning in every week? There's no sense of, like, oh, something new might be uncovered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you really want them to commit to something, but you're just never going to fucking do that. Exactly, yeah. It needed to be, like, if you needed to, like, cut all of the cop plot stuff with Mark Renby entirely because it amounts to fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't learn anything of note and just like have the people in the town actually be trying to actively uncover what is going on with them in a way that they just don't. Like imagine being somebody who's like watched three of the episodes of a show and liked them well enough and trying to recommend it to someone else. Like what do you tell them that's going to make episode four sound exciting to them? (laughs) It's like, they might get gas masks. You never know. <laughs> uh, um, but that is also just, like, the total lack of faith from the network, right? Yeah, so, I mean, let's move into my research, I think, at this point. Let's do it. Um, and this is where I get to deploy my little twist. Um, Tell me. So, here's the thing. This show was marketed as a miniseries. What? What's the last thing you remember? One night, I'm kissing my daughter goodnight, and the next day, I'm grabbed in a park, and I end up here. There's a somebody I'm longing to see. Where are we? I don't know. We're all hostages. What kind of kidnapping is this? Who the hell are you? I'm the night manager. Someone to watch. Hey, they're watching. Here, you creepy purrs. Over me. I'll do whatever it takes. Only one of us gets out of here alive. Hey, By the end of summer, the answers will be known. In the miniseries event, Persons Unknown, starting Monday, June 7th on NBC. And I didn't learn this until, we did not know this until I did my research the other day, which I always do after we've seen the whole show. This show, the commercials for it, like months ahead of time, the commercials they were playing, were advertising it as a mini-series event, which is mind-blowing because you know what that means. What? This was the first Lost Alike to be pre-canceled. <laughs> <laughs> this show was like such a train wreck. That they, like, before it even aired, they were like, yeah, we're not renewing this. <laughs> there will not be any more Persons Unknown. Yeah, this is the character of CIA from The Dark Knight Rises, just, like, shoving a guy before he even gets on the plane and saying, he didn't fly so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is, it, and, and it's funny because, like, um, 
and I'll probably drop in the ad the audio of the of the ad where I found this. Mm-hmm. Um, they they go into this thing of like you know by the end of the summer all of the answers will be known. Like in the ad, they flash on the screen like you know why are they here unknown where are they unknown and then of course like persons unknown um, and then the voiceover says that you know you will learn all of the answers and it's like. That is just like we talk about like total loss of faith and the lost alike as a as a formula. Yeah. You know, obviously a lot of the shows we talk about have this, you know, promise of like, don't worry, we're unlike the other show, we're actually gonna answer our questions. But I feel like if you overcommit to that promise to the extent that like the com- the trailer for the show is saying, Don't worry, there will be answers, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the eggs already hatched, you know what I mean? It's like, why am I gonna tune in then? Like if I just know there's that the answers are going to happen, then what's the tension? You know, what's the show? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> why, why, why am I tuning into this when you've already told me, like, don't worry, we're going to lay everything out at some point. There is absolutely no like productive, fun tension in the way that lost had where it was like, Oh, I don't know. Like what, what, are, what's going to be revealed. Yeah. Like at that point, it's just like, you look at it and say, okay, well, if I hear good things about that, like I'll catch it when it, finishes like i'll get the dvd release which will surely come yeah um did it the dvd release so fun fact no it did not um oh. it was scheduled to be released later that year a couple months after yeah it got delayed and then it just never came out like you want to talk about this has got to be the biggest flop we we this might be the biggest flop we ever talk about yeah like you know aired as a summer replacement was pre-canceled uh they just started randomly not airing episodes sometimes after the halfway point. I'm seeing here that it also took another week off in addition to all these like preemptions uh, so that NBC could air day two of the U.S. Women's Gymnastics Championship. Yeah, so we'll <laughs> talk about how things aired. That's not true. No, yeah. Um, you know, when the show started, I think there was like kind of a cursory attempt to like, oh, we'll do like, you know, uh, EEW will do our recaps. But, like, even by episode one, it was like, okay, an AI could have written this. It's just, like, it's not even the way AV Club does its recaps where it's, like, a review. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's literally just, and here's what happened. And I will not add anything else to that because this is just content for the fucking content mill. Yeah. Um, You know, I only found three AO3 fix. Three total. Wait. Three. What were the pairings? It was just Joe Janet. That was uh. it. Okay. It was like it, there was three. So there weren't even any perverts in the show. <laughs> no, that's the thing. There was nothing like what 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 pervert is going to latch on to this? You yeah. know what I mean? There are way more perverse <laughs> explorations of similar concepts out go there. Go Blackham Ulrich as my pervert ship. Okay, yeah, that, that is disgusting, and I hate it. Yeah. Um, there was a, a a New York Post interview I found with Jason Wiles who played Joe. Where the headline was Jason Wiles calls persons unknown an ever evolving hell. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Which I think is like really captures uh, what we're trying to get at here. Interestingly, he says in this interview, we didn't film the show as a miniseries. We did it as a 13 episode show. So we assumed it was just the first season. We think it can completely go on. Which is so sad because it really confirms like, you know, they marketed it as a miniseries. So maybe you could have gone in under the assumption that they had like created it under that assumption. But no, this just does confirm that it did get pre-canceled, that they handed this into the network and they were like, all right, no, we're not doing any more of this. There's no fucking chance. Um, you know, the premiere episode uh, hit 4.4 million viewers. It got washed by a CSI Miami repeat. <laughs> 
just like from you Jump Street. just washed by a CSI Miami repeat no, in the summer. Nothing. So after episode five, they moved from Monday night to Saturday night, which is like the saddest thing I've ever heard. Like, you know, we hear about like getting like the Friday night death slot and stuff yeah. for network shows. But Saturday is like, they don't want anyone to watch this. Yeah. And it also means they essentially skipped. Our, our one hope is that this is playing in like a pub on their TVs. <laughs> like, in between like switching over from like, you know, the Rangers game <laughs> to the Mets game. Just somebody's like, hey, hold on. Go back to that one with the mysterious hotel. I gotta have answers. <laughs> so what's funny about episode five's move is that so like episode five aired on Monday and mm-hmm. then like they got to the end of that week and then nothing the next Monday but they moved, you know, to that Saturday. So essentially, they took almost two weeks off. And episode six cratered, like, 1.69 million. Just, like, dead in the water, and you're not even halfway through. Rest of the series, like, barely hit above a million the entire time. You said they took a week off after episode nine for day two of the U.S. Women's Gymnastics Championship. Not even the finals. Just day two. (laughs) It's so cool. And then, of course, like we talked about, uh, after that, they aired episode 10 and just skipped episode 11 just because they were like, we got to get this out the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could not have one more week where this is tainting our airwaves. Um, I think Wikipedia claims that this is because they were airing um, an NFL thing. I couldn't find that in my research. I couldn't find this being up against the NFL in this time period. Um, it really seems to me like they just were like, we're going to skip a random episode in the back half of this just to get it out the door. Um, and, you know, like, it was marketed as a miniseries, so it's not like there was a fan campaign to save it, mm-hmm. even if this show had had fans, which it did not. Like, no yeah. one was being like, we need season two. Even with the cliffhanger ending, no one was like, we need more of this, because everyone yeah, was this like... This show is no Lone Star. <laughs> it's certainly not. Um, no, it's like, there, you know, there were no showrunner postmortems published. Showrunner? So it's this guy named Christopher McQuarrie. What? I was told he was good. I was told he made good movies, <laughs> that he's saving cinema, that he makes dudes rock magic, featuring the last real movie star. And you're saying that he made this washed piece of shit? It's funny. I guess we should have mentioned that up front. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher McQuarrie. No, I, I, I don't like Christopher McQuarrie's movies, but like I don't blame him for this. Like I cannot imagine this being the result of anyone's creative desires. Yeah, it's like I... I know why I don't like Christopher McQuarrie movies, and it tends to be because he's, like, he's a very competent guy. Like, he is very good at taking middle-sized swings with a lot of things. This is neither competent nor are its swings middle-sized. So, like, I'm declaring him innocent from this as the the Christopher McQuarrie hater. So, yeah, there was, like, I mean, if you want want a term to describe this show, it's dead on arrival. Like, it was just, like, that's it. It aired, and it was already a corpse. Yeah. It did not live. Yeah. Poor thing. Um, is there anything else we have to say about the show? No, I don't think so. I mean, like... All right. It, let us... Uh, let, let us let it lie. All right. Let yeah. it rest. So I'll just, like, hop off the mic, and I'll continue to make fun of you for being a Christopher McQuarrie fangirl. Okay, someone thought the eyepatch guy was a different character, so we all have our little missteps, don't we? Christopher McQuarrie, eyepatch, just a little director signature. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, speaking of directors, one of the episodes of the show was directed by Jonathan Frakes, and we were expecting to have something to react to about that sh- uh, episode, where it was either, like, this is actually pretty good, or, like, 
some weird visual shit going on here, or like, he shouldn't be a director, he should stick to the other end of the camera. No, don't even remember which one. (laughs) (laughs) Zero impact, Uh, could not tell, even if you told me which episode it is, I could not summon for you what happens in that episode. Yeah, not at all. So yeah, this one was small swings all around, right? Um, And it makes you feel so pessimistic about the whole project of Lost Likes. So, why don't we look at a show next episode that's actually fondly remembered by the few who watched it. A show that actually makes it onto lists that are like, Hidden Gems cancelled too soon. A show that is short and sweet and perfect for the tiny, tiny month of February so we don't have to watch as many episodes. That's right, next month, you're going to find a powerful car, we're going to escape from the project Spooky Ghost Town, and we're going to make our way into the fast-paced world of... Drive. Hooray! <laughs> um, plugs. Plugs, yeah. First of all, once again, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, uh, we, we really appreciate it. You can find us at Twitter, at Lost Broadcast. That's where you'll find links to all of our stuff. Um, you know, you can find us, obviously, wherever podcasts are found. Leave us an Apple review, an iTunes review. I didn't ask for that last time, but it really makes me happy when I see that. We love um, all of them. We love that so much. Um, and of course... Uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the lost broadcast. A bunch of you have already, and it's really, really cool. Um, You can obviously, if uh, you subscribe, you can listen to main episodes like this one week early. You might be doing that right now, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also get uh, show notes, which is something we added recently, where like, you know, we take a lot of notes when we're watching these shows, and we often don't get to incorporate all of those thoughts into the episode. So um, something that Hannah's been doing is sort of collating them into uh, something that we can share with our patrons um, at the $1 tier mm-hmm. with different jokes and insights that, that don't make the episodes, which is fun. Yeah. Um, and you can also get bonus episodes. We just recently released, as we're recording this, our first bonus episode on the pilot of Heroes, uh, which was really fun. Um, so if you want to hear that and hear our next one, which might yeah. be person of interest, um, it's gonna be a person of interest. it'll probably be person of interest. Uh, go our, ahead. Our goal with these bonus episodes is to kind of like, um, cover, I think I mentioned this at the start of the episode, just to reiterate during the proper plug, these are shows that could have been lost likes that are clearly, if not inspired by lost and at the very least like greenlit and given pushes because lost was so successful. Um, that instead of flopping wildly, went on to be super successful, or at least successful enough to get, like, several seasons. So, uh, Heroes, Person of Interest, we're probably gonna do ones on, like, um, Fringe? Yellow Jackets, maybe? Yep. Whichever one out of the 100 or the 4400 is the one that applies here. (laughs) There's a couple, like, Could be both. Yeah. And that's just the first of several kind of, like, limited series that are gonna be airing on our... Uh, bonus feed so check those out they're really fun they're a lot shorter and looser than these yeah all right once again thank you so much for listening we can't wait to hear from you next month have a great rest of whatever day week however long a period of time you're listening to this across have exactly seven good days after listening to this and then things level off (laughs) all right bye bye take care